0: Well, welcome. I love being able to connect with the folks that are out back there and uh, those that are online and especially with those that are in f- front of me right here. So uh, thanks for being here this morning. Um, I wonder, have you heard this, this question, um, but what's in a name? Everybody heard what's in a name? Shakespeare came up with it. He was talking about um, a rose by any other name would smell just so sweet that there's really no significance to, to names was kind of his point that they're irrelevant, that you could name it something else and it would still be so sweet-smelling. Well, I, I get where he's coming from, but I do believe there's significance to names, and names often convey things or convey uh, ideas or purposes behind the name. And so um, this week we had lunch with my dad, me, and, and the boys, and, and we were out there, and, and uh, the question came up, Craig raised it. He says, what, what's our name mean, like McLucas? Where does it come from? What's the origin of it? And I said, well, it's Scott Irish, and um, that's what the Mick represents, the Scottish part, and, and the Lucas is an Irish part, and he's like, oh, that's, that's really cool. And he said, uh, well, what, am I, what does my name mean? And so he got on his phone, like everybody does, and he, and he Googled, you know, what does um, Craig mean? And so Craig means rock. Rock. That's a cool name, right? So you, you want to be a rock, right? And so then he uh looked up Cody and Cody means helpful. Helpful. And then he, he looked up Sam or Samuel, it means God hears. And then he looked up Scott and it means uh Scottish. <laughs> I like that was sort of anticlimactic. You know, I was I was thinking something more, but uh you know they're they're descriptive, right? So so my, my roots are from Scotland and Ireland, so Scott seems appropriate, and, and Craig, he can be a rock. Like When he makes his mind up, he is passionate, and he, he is steadfast on things. Uh, Cody is, is a great helper, and, and Sam, I believe when Sam prays, God hears. And, and so there is significance, I think, in our names. And this morning, what we want to look at are, are just um, some of the significance behind the names that we find in the Bible. God often named people in places for significant reasons. It was very dis- descriptive. And um, specifically, we're in Hosea. So we're in the Old Testament book of Hosea. If you want to follow along, I would encourage you to do that. If you want to use one of the Bibles inside, if you brought your own Bible um, outside or online or you got your phone, feel free to do that. So we're going to look at um, Hosea, and we're going to catch the very end of chapter 11 and then all of chapter 12 this morning. But if you've been around with us as we've been going through Hosea, I don't know if you've struggled with this, but I've found it a little confusing. They're using a lot of names referring to the same place. Anybody else get that? For instance, um, You look at the region that we now call Israel, so think about that part of the country, and back in that day it was divided in two, and so there was a northern section, and in Hosea he refers to that as Israel, but sometimes he refers to it as Ephraim. And then the southern section he refers to as Judah, and so why does he do that? Why isn't it all Israel? Well, we need a little history lesson to understand that better, so I'm going to give you that. And uh, if you don't like it, well, you can leave. But the, uh, like here's what we're going to do. So if you get your, your notes out, if you've got a, a journal or you have the notes on your phone, I think it'll be beneficial. So here's where we go. You go all the way back in, in history. You may recall that God made a covenant with a guy by the name of Abram. Anybody remember Abram? Um, His name was significant. It meant exalted father. And then later on, God changed his name to Abraham, right? It meant the father of many nations. And so God entered into a covenant with Abraham and his descendants. And he promised Abraham, he said, through your wife Sarai, who was, that was her name then, then it became Sarah, which means princess, I'm going to bless you. You are going to be a mighty nation. That If you look up at the stars in the sky, that, that's how many, how many descendants you're going to have, and see this beautiful land, that is the promised land of yours, and I'm going to bless you. And so there was this covenant, this, this promise, and God said, I will forever be your God, and you will be my people. And so, um, god honored his promise even though sarah was not able to have children she was up in age and and barren but god god worked a miracle and they had a son by the name of isaac isaac and it means he who laughs or he who rejoices then isaac um, married Rebekah, and they had two sons twin sons by the name of esau and jacob esau means harry harry very descriptive very descriptive it means Harry, and then Jacob means heel grabber or deceiver. Heel grabber or deceiver. Now, um, we're going to find the reason for these names. If you if you are looking at Genesis 25 verses 22 through 26, gives you the details. Um, I'm not going to read it. I'm just going to tell you this story. Sometimes I find that a little bit more engaging. But here's here's what happened. So Rebecca is pregnant, and. Uh, she has twins, so she is like really pregnant. You know what I mean? And so women, you know what I mean. So anyhow, she, she, she's pregnant, and these two guys inside of her are fighting and wrestling all the time. They are just going to town in there. And, and she needs to figure out what's going on. So instead of consulting her gynecologist, she consults God. And so she just goes directly to God and says, God, what is happening here? And he said, here's the deal. Like, you have two boys inside of you who represent two different nations, and they are at war with one another. They're wrestling with one another, and here's the deal. One is going to be stronger than the other, and the older is going to serve the younger. Well, finally, it came time to give birth, and out came the first one, and he was red, and he was hairy, and you know what they named him? Esau, right? And then right Right behind him, holding on to the heel like a train, right? Like, here he comes. This this second guy comes pulling on out, and his name is what? Jacob, heel grabber or deceiver. See how descriptive their names were? And so that's how we get um, these two. So, now, um, if you look at Genesis chapter 27 you're going to see that um, Isaac had come to the end of his life. He had led a good life, but uh, he's old now. He, he can barely see. He's really legally blind. Uh, he knows that his days are numbered. And so he is hungry, and he wants his favorite meal. You ever crave, like, just that favorite meal? And he loved wild game. And so he called Esau in because Esau was that hunter-gatherer kind of dude. He was actually, like, like, if we're honest, Isaac's favorite. So Isaac really preferred Esau. And Jacob was a bit of a mama's boy, right? So, you know, he did his thing with his mom. And so uh, he calls Esau in, and he's the firstborn. And he says, Esau, would you go out and, 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 you know, kill some wild game for me and make my favorite meal? And he says, yes, Dad, I'll do it. And then Isaac says, and when you come back, after I've eaten, I'm going to give you my blessing. I'm going to give you my blessing. I'm going to have you rise up and, and be the head of the, the household from here on out. And so he, he goes off. Now, Rebecca hears all this, and, and she really wants Jacob to have that blessing. So she, she schemes with him, and she has Jacob come in here, and she said, all right, Jacob, here, here's what we're going to do. I want you to go and put on Esau's clothes so you kind of smell like him, you know. And then uh, I, I want you to get, get some of this goat hair and put it on here so that uh, if your father touches you, he'll, he'll see how hairy you are, and, and he'll think you're Esau, and I'm going to make up his favorite meal f- for him. And so she does all that, he does all that, and she gives him the food, and he goes and, and brings it to his dad. And his dad eats, and he's like, oh, this is so good. And and he's listening to him, and he, and, and you know Isaac's not no fool. He's like, I, something doesn't seem quite right here. Like, I, I know you smell like Esau, and you, you feel like Esau, but you don't sound like Esau. And he's like, oh, no, 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 it's me, Dad. And, and so even though he had his, his suspicions, he goes along with it. And in the end, he has the meal, and then he gives Jacob the blessing, the blessing. The deceiver deceives his dad, and he robs his brother of the blessing. So we start to see he's living into his name the heel grabber, the deceiver. Now here's where we start to see it all come together in Hosea chapter 11 at um, verse 12, and then we're going to look at verse 1 in chapter 12. It says, Ephraim has surrounded me with lies, Israel with deceit, and Judah is unruly against God, even against the faithful Holy One. Ephraim feeds on the wind. He pursues the east wind all day and multiplies lies and violence. He makes a treaty with Assyria and sends olive oil to Egypt. So Jacob's family has grown at at this point. Um, He's got many descendants. They've become 12 nations, and they can't get along. You know, the, the siblings can't get along. They're a dysfunctional family like all of ours, and, and so they divide. They're in this, this um, promised land, and so to the north, there's ten tribes up there, and they're known as Israel or Ephraim, so they can be used interchangeably. And then to the south are two tribes, and they're known as Judah. And, and they're there because they just can't seem to get along. There's a lot of deceit going on. They're deceitful towards their... Um, they're neighbors, they're their foreign nations, they're deceitful really towards one another in their dealings. They're deceitful to God. They, they pretend to worship Him, to follow Him, to be keeping the covenant, but they're not. They're worshiping other gods and idols created by their own hands. And ultimately, you know what? They're deceitful to themselves. They're deceiving themselves. They bought into a lie. And so. We see this heritage, this lineage, this legacy, if you will, of deceit that is passed down from Jacob to his descendants. Now, if you look at Hosea 12, verse 1, it says, Ephraim feeds on the wind. He feeds on the wind. It's talking about the nation of Israel feeds on the wind. And then it goes on and says, he pursues the east wind all day, all day. So, what What's he talking about here? What does it mean to feed on the wind? What does it mean to pursue the east wind all day? Well, we were recently in the Holy Land, and and we got to experience that east wind. So if you go east of Israel, you're going to go to Jordan, and that is predominantly all desert. And so the wind that comes from the east, it is dry and hot, and it's just pretty nasty. And, And so um, what they were doing is they're feeding on the wind. So they're, they're pursuing the things of this world. They're filling themselves up with the things of this world. They are, are seeking day in and day out the things from the east. And, and what they're finding is, you know, when you're full of air, you, you look like you're full, right? But there's no nourishment there. You're, you're just empty inside. And when there's a little bit of pressure, all that comes out is foul air foul air, right? And so that's what they're discovering here, that they are full of air. They're full of this worldliness that they think is going to bring them everything that they desire. And so they may look good on the outside, but inside they're, they're really empty. There's no nourishment there. And so that's what's happening here. Um, it goes on and, and reminds us in verse 1, really the reality of what's happening here and, and just how they're failing time and time again to seek God in their times of need. Now that that, that pressure is coming, and they're recognizing the emptiness within them. Instead of turning to God, the one true God, the God that had entered into this covenant with them, promised to always be there with them, to be there for them, they don't turn to him. Where do they turn? They turn to the north, to Assyria. They turn to the south, to Egypt. They're looking to these, these foreign kings, to provide for them, to protect them. But they never will. They never will. You keep looking and you see Jacob really living into his name as deceiver. And then in verse 2, you see this beginning to play out in the um, repercussions of it. If you look at verse 3, it references the birth of Jacob, the heel grabber, the deceiver, which we've already talked about here. And then verses 4 and 5. Reference two encounters that Jacob had with God. Two encounters that Jacob had with God. Listen to this beginning in verse 4. It said he struggled with an angel and overcame him. He wept and begged for his favor. He found him at Bethel or Bethel and talked with him there. The Lord God Almighty, the Lord is his name. And so, If you look at Genesis chapter 27 and 28, you'll get more detail. But here's what happened. So right after Jacob had cheated Esau out of his birthright, how he had deceived his father, um, he took off. I I mean, he left home and he ran for his life because he knew Esau was going to kill him. Esau was going to kill him. And so he was told to, to go to his uncle's house, go to Laban his uncle Laban, and there they, they trusted that Laban would give him work. And then ultimately that Laban might provide a wife for him as well. And so that's what he does. Jacob takes off. And it's a long journey, and so he, he stops for the night, and, and he's uh, resting, and, and then he has a vision from God. Anybody ever have a vision from God? Well, he had one of the coolest visions, and he sees this stairway to heaven. I don't know. You ever heard about the stairway to heaven? You ever sang that song or anything? Anyhow, uh, any, that's what it's referred to. So it, when you hear this song, now you'll think ab- about Hosea and you'll think about um, Jacob. But he sees a stairway to heaven. And you know who's at the top of the stairs? It's God himself. God himself waiting for him. And what God does in this vision is he pronounces... He pronounces and reaffirms the covenant that he originally established with Abraham, and then he reestablished with Isaac, and he is now reestablishing that covenant with Jacob. And what he's saying to Jacob is, you are going to be prosperous. Your children, your descendants are going to be as many as the stars in the sky and the sand on the seashore. You're going to be blessed with land and all the provisions, and the greatest blessing of all is that I'm going to be your God. You're going to be my people, and I will always be with you because God is true to his promises. He is true to the covenant that he entered into, and so that was, was um, Jacob's first major encounter with God. So he wakes up the next morning and he goes and he gets some stones because he wants to commemorate this place and he, he builds this altar to God and he calls it Bethel or Bethel, which means house of God, house of God. So he marked that place. So that's, that's taking place there. Now, um, Jacob makes his way to his uncles and, and when he gets there, his uncle Laban is kind, allows him to become a shepherd. So he, he's responsible for overseeing the sheep and the goats. And guess what happens when he arrives? Like he lays eyes on, on Laban's youngest daughter, Rachel, and she is smoking hot. Right. And she, he just is immediately in love with Rachel. He, he just falls in love. He's like, this is the woman of my dreams. This is the woman that I've got to marry. And he goes to his uncle and he's like, uncle, like, what, what do I have to do to, to marry your daughter, Rachel? Because back in those days, I don't know if you remember, but you had to have like a dowry. So you had to have some money if you are going to um, marry somebody. And he didn't have anything, right? He was running for his life. And so his uncle says, all right, here's the deal. If you work for me for seven years, seven years you work for me, then you can have Rachel. He's like, done. Uh, I'm in. Seven years go by. And he is ready, they, they, the, the wedding is ready, but guess what happens to, to Jacob the deceiver? He's deceived himself. And Laban pulls a fast one on him and he swaps out Leah, who is the oldest daughter, for Rachel. And Jacob ends up marrying Leah instead of Rachel. Can you imagine waking up the next day? And you look over and you're like, you are not Rachel. Nope. Isn't it funny too how deceivers are just taken aback when they're deceived? He goes to his uncle, he's like, I can't how could you do this? How could you deceive me like this? And like, dude, that's your name. Like, that's what you're known for. You were a deceiver, and when you're deceived, all of a sudden you, you can't believe it. So he's like, Well, what do I have to do? I, I'm still in love with Rachel. And he's like, Well, if you work seven more years for me then i'll I'll give you rachel too he's like done i'm in and so he works seven more years and then he's given rachel as his wife now let me be clear here this is descriptive not prescriptive of god god is not condoning polygamy here let me just tell you every time you read about it um, of a of a man having multiple wives in the bible it never goes well okay it never goes well and if You want a modern date? Watch Sister Wives. Watch that show. It does not go well. You are not meant to have multiple wives. They will not get along. So anyhow, so that happens, and now he continues to work for him, and God prospers him. He prospers him. He he ends up with all these sheep and all these goats, and he even gets servants, and he's having all these children, and it gets to the point where Laban's sons are, are not happy. They're like, Dad, he's been more prosperous than us. Like, He has more wealth than we have, and this doesn't seem right. And so they're kind of getting ready to fight, and Jacob's not a fighter. He's a runner. So uh, he decides, we need to get out of here, and so they sneak away. He takes all of his, his wives and his children and all their possessions, and they sneak out without even saying goodbye. Well, you remember why he left in the first place? Because his brother Esau wanted to kill him. Well, he never reconciled with Esau. And now he's on his way back to that land that God promised him. Remember the stairway to heaven? And, and he's going back home. But Esau's there waiting for him. And so Jacob's no dummy. So he sends you know, a bunch of sheep and goats and, and wealth, some gifts to him to try to appease him. But he's not sure if that's worked. And so on the way back he decides to send his family and all his possessions across the Jordan River into the promised land ahead of him, and he stays back. And that night he has this second encounter that it was referring to in verses 4 and 5 with God. Now, <clears throat> there's some um, debate about who he's wrestling with. It, it says a man, and then um, here in Hosea it says an angel of God. Um, Some believe that maybe he was wrestling with Jesus pre-incarnate, with God himself. So we're not exactly sure, but it seems like he has this encounter with God and he's wrestling with him. All night long is this wrestling match going on to the point where we'll call him the angel of the Lord is just kind of done. And so he just dislocates um, Jacob's hip. Like, you can't wrestle with a dislocated hip. But Jacob is so determined, he will not give up. The man is just clinging, clinging to him. And he's like, I will not let go. I will not give up until you bless me. And so the angel of the Lord, it reminds me of, like, wrestling with my boys when they were much smaller. You know, and you are you guys, any, any dads and moms, too, that are wrestlers here, the, uh, like, <laughs> you've probably done that, like you're on the floor, right, and you're wrestling with them, and and clearly you're bigger and can overpower them, but you flip over, and they're on top of you, they think they're winning, and finally you're just done, and so you get up, and you start to walk away, but they're latched onto your leg, right, and you're like dragging them across here, and they're like, no, no, and, and you're like, kid, I beat you, and They're like, no. And so finally, your heart goes out to them, and you're just like, what? I love their perseverance. I I love how they long to win, and they're clinging to me. And so you bless them and go, you win. You win. And I think that's kind of the picture of what was happening here with Jacob. He was clinging to God. He's like, I am not going to let you go until you bless me. And I think God just said I love you like I I love your perseverance I love that you are so passionate that you're not willing to let go of me until I bless you and he says you win you win and not only does does he win but he has a name change and God says no longer will you be known as Jacob the deceiver the heel grabber from now on you'll be known as Israel he who wrestles with God and wins. Israel, he who wrestles with God and wins. Jacob has a new identity now. He will not be known forever as the deceiver. He'll now be known as the one who wrestled with God and won. And so that's, that's what's taking place there. There's a new identity. And he's instilling that identity into his children who grow and become the 12 tribes. And, and yet, <clears throat> while they have this opportunity to embrace this new identity, to be um, men that really wrestle with God and, and, and really desire above all else to be blessed by God, sadly, they, like, like many of us, go back to our old ways and choose the way of deceit. That's the one thing that those 12 tribes had in common, even though some were more good and godly than, than others, they all were guilty of deceit, of, of turning their backs on God and going their own way, doing their own thing. And so if we look at the rest of chapter 12, here's what we see. Um, what, what we see are, are really the speaking of the descendants of, of Jacob, of them using dishonest scales, in their business operations and, and the business that they're conducting, they would use different measures that favored them. We see of them boasting of their wealth as if they were the ones that had earned all that they had. Uh, we see them claiming to be without sin. All these things we see unfolding in chapter 12. Um, but God reminds them. He he, de- that he reminds them that He He was the one that delivered them from slavery in Egypt. He reminds them that he was the one that sent the prophets to encourage them, to guide them, to reveal himself to them. He was the one that did that. And he goes on to warn them, too. He, he warns them that as beautiful as these homes are that you're living in, I can take them away. I can take them away. And you can be in the desert, in the wilderness again, living in tents that quickly. I gave this to you, and I can take it away. And furthermore, he he tells them that I can take those altars that you've erected to worship these false gods, and I, I can scatter them about like stones that have been picked from a field. I can do all those things. And so he's warning them. And if that's not enough, listen to verse 14. This is God speaking to them through the prophet Hosea, said, but the people of Israel have bitterly provoked the Lord. So their Lord will now sentence them to death in payment for their sins. What we see here is that God is saying, I'm going to give you what you deserve. I'm going to give you what you deserve. If you want to live life apart from me, I'll I'll give you what you deserve. If you want to attribute the things that I've done for you to other gods and and idols of your own making, I, I'll give you what you deserve. If you want to turn to, to kings to the north and kings to the south instead of turning to me, the, the God and king who has provided everything for you, who loves you unconditionally, then, then I'll give you what you deserve. I'll give you what you deserve. And ultimately, what we deserve and what they deserved was death. It's this eternal separation between us and God. That's what we deserve. We deserve. That's what they deserved. And God said, if you are so bent on chasing after the wind, of filling yourself with this emptiness that the world offers you, then I'll give you what you deserve. They had a choice. They had a choice. They could embrace that old Identity as Jacob's descendants, as deceivers who ultimately are the ones who are deceived, or they could embrace the new identity that God had given Jacob, one of Israel, those who wrestle with God, who wrestle with God, and in the end win, who get what they don't deserve. They had a choice. And we have a choice as well. We have a choice as well. Um, We can choose to continue to to chase after the wind, to fill ourselves up with the things of the world that, that may make us look good on the outside, but when a little pressure comes, it all passes away and we're left empty inside. Empty inside. We can choose that. Or we can choose to wrestle with God. To say, you know what, I am not letting go of you, God. I'm not going to let go. That that your blessing is more important to me than anything and anyone in all the world. I'm going to hold on to you no matter what. We have a choice. We have a choice. And God has provided a way. And that way is through Jesus. And Jesus, that's why he came and he sacrificed himself for us so that we might not get what we deserve that we might not get what we deserve. If we will just cling to Jesus, cling to Jesus, wrestle with God, then we will receive his blessing and we will win in the end. God reaffirms this through the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians 5.17. He says this, Behold, anyone who's in Christ is a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. That's his promise. He says, no, you you can exchange that old identity of of being a Jacob, of a heel grabber, of a deceiver, and through Jesus Christ and faith in him and clinging to him and, and following after him, you become this new creation. You become Israel, one who wrestles with God and wins. But we have a choice. So let me ask you a couple questions. If you're looking at your own life, What name is more descriptive of you? If you look at your life, what name is more descriptive of you? Would you say that um, Jacob, the deceiver who is ultimately deceived, is more descriptive of you? Or would you say Israel, he or she who wrestles with God and wins, is more descriptive of you? Which name describes you more? And secondly, What are you filling yourself with? What are you pursuing? In other words, what are you full of, right? Like, what are you truly full of? Are are you full of the promises, the empty promises of the world? Are are you full of modern culture? Are, are, Are you full of whatever happens to be popular in the moment? Is that what you're full of? Or are you full of the Holy Spirit? Are you full of God's truth? What are you full of? Because in the end, when you experience that pressure, what's going to come forth? Is it going to be emptiness, worldliness, or is it going to be goodness and godliness? What are you full of? Let's pray. Dear God, I thank you so much for ancient scriptures like this, hundreds, thousands of years old, and, and yet um, our circumstances may be different. But this message is for us as as well as it was for them back in that day and time. And and I confess personally and on behalf of all of us, whether um, we're in person or online or outside, that that we've all been guilty of um, trying to deceive you, trying to deceive others by, you know, putting up facades and social media presentations and... (sighs) ultimately deceiving ourselves into believing that we're somebody that we're not. Help us, Lord, I pray, to embrace the brokenness, and that that brokenness would lead us to recognize our need for You. Lord, I thank You that when we recognize our need for You, and we come and we cling to You, that ultimately that's where we win. That's where we win. So Lord, help us to become the Israels and not the Jacobs. We ask all this in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.